G'day and welcome to Green and Gold Rugby Podcast 104. It's D-Day, it's happened, the Lions have arrived today, it's all started. There's plenty to talk about, including uh, last weekend's Super t- Rugby action. So joining me, uh, Scott Allen, mate, how are you? Great, Matt, how are you going? Yeah, very well, thanks, very well. Exciting times, aren't it? It is. Oh, our last podcast we were talking about it just being around the corner and here it is, it's, it's, it's with us. Um, Anyway, what we're going to do is hopefully this our plan this week is to have more than one podcast because obviously we're going to have the first Lions uh, tour match on Wednesday against the Western Force. We're going to talk about more that more later. Uh, so we're thinking of giving you two instalments this week. So this one probably a bit shorter than usual, a bit short, shorter than the usual two hours feature length movie version. Um, and but we'll save some more for the back end of the week. So let's kick off. Let's get straight into uh, the super games that we ha- had on the weekend. Uh, we'll just cover the uh, Aussie ones. And the first one off the bat was, I mean, it was a belter in the end, as for excitement for everything, uh, was the Crusaders Waratahs. Now, as a born and bred Waratahs fan, Scott, I'm going to have to hand over to you on this one um, to try and give some sort of balanced appraisal. What did you make of the game? Well, I thought the first 50, 55 minutes by the Waratahs were just outstanding. Yeah. You know, that first half, didn't they? Play some great rugby. Yeah. And they were just all over the Crusaders. Yeah. Um, take nothing away from the Waratahs. The Crusaders were off, but the Waratahs just pinned them. It was beautiful. Great yeah. great to watch. Yeah. And then, I don't think the change was that players came on and played terribly. I just think when they made the change with Rob Horn going off, um, and Brendan McKibben going off, just the momentum changed. Yeah. And, you know, tactical replacements, you know, there, were, there was no injury from either of them, but everything just changed a little bit. Beric Barnes started kicking a little more. I don't know, he's come on and closed out games, you know, in the last three games, I think he's come on twice and been there at the end. Mm. Um, and I understand, you know, kick it, get some field position when you're in the lead, but... With Horn going off, they no longer had that punch that they had at 12, and all of a sudden, they just didn't look like the same team. Yeah. They were almost defending the lead. Yeah, no, it, it did start to look that way. There's another part to the game as well, I wondered. I mean, it was an incredible high-tempo game plan, wasn't it? Um, and, and Which the whole idea, I guess, was just to keep the ball moving so quickly out of contact um, and so quickly around the ground that you know the, the Crusaders just didn't have any time to... To contest, um, and it worked beautifully, didn't it? If, oh, if you were a, if you yeah. were a coach and you wanted to show your players, this is how you play fast ball, you know, the quick ball. Well, mm. That's it. Just get that first half and look at that. And Brendan McKibben, he was getting to the rucks so quickly, mm. and as soon as the ball's clear, it's moved. Yeah. Well, of course, then he has to have players realigning quickly to have someone to pass to, but they did a great job on that. Well, and that's what I think kind of started to fall away in the second half. And I guess I got to the question, you know, and again, it's hard to know how much is the replacements or not, but, you know, is the Waratahs a team that can play? Can they do that for 80 minutes? How many teams can do that for 80 minutes? Oh, um, I, you know, that's a tough, tough ask, isn't it? 
I don't think there's any team can keep going at that pace. Mm. Well, because the problem with the Tars is what's plan B? I mean, you know, what, what do they change up to? So, you know, the Crusaders, you know, well known for having a, you know, a couple of different gears they can play in. Um, but the Tars, they don't seem to have one, you know, outside of that attack. And, you know, what happened in the second half was it just turned into a version of that, but without the realignment. Um, and they just started getting stuck and getting hit behind the game line, didn't they? Well, they did. And the other thing is, I think um, Kieran Reid might have said it in the, in the post-match interview, that in the first half, they weren't getting around, the Crusaders weren't getting around the corner in defence well enough. Mm. And, of course, the Waratahs were playing, you know, the ball moving the same way, so the defence couldn't get off the line and get up and hit them. Mm. So the Crusaders adjusted their defence line. They got around the corner faster, which gave them some line speed. Well, sorry, gave them some people in the line to get up off the line. Mm. Um, I mean, the obvious thing was stop, reverse, go back the other way where the mm. balls come from. Yeah. So play, you know, maybe do something like, you know, some teams call it a 21, two plays to the right and then move it back to the left in, in the hope that you've caught them going around the corner too fast. Yeah. But the Waratahs didn't do that. They just kept going the same way mm. and the Crusaders had worked out what they had to do to fix it. They did a good job at halftime readjusting and the Waratahs just kept running into the teeth of it then. Was, it, was the adjustment to stand about a metre offside? Was that part of the adjustment? <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway, look, I'm trying to leave that behind, and I'm trying to leave behind the, the Glenn Jackson hate. There was lots of discussion here in Sydney, I can tell you, on the sidelines of, um, you know, kids, rugby games, that damn Glenn Jackson everything else. I'm sure it was just our blue goggles. Um, oh, no, 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 I, I don't us. think it was. Yeah. I don't think it was. I mean, don't forget, Glenn Jackson was the referee on the Brumbies-Reds game, mm. where he was equally as appalling. Mm. So... I think he's a good referee. He's got a lot to learn, but when the pressure gets on, when he has to make really tough decisions, he he just seems to lose games. Mm. So in that game, yes, he let the Crusaders play offside. He wouldn't make a decision about that last scrum. That was farcical, wasn't it? Four minutes of scrum, you know, um, where you know Ben, you know Ben Robinson, um, and and uh, who was who was packing opposite Crockett by that stage. Um, Paddy Ryan. Yeah, but, um, you know, the, the Crusaders, I mean, you know, what, Crockett had had problems all game, um, and then, you know, then it was just he wasn't going to make a decision in that final scrum, was he? Yeah, look, I've looked at those scrums since that, mm. and in the first scrum, um, I know the complaint was that one of the back rowers from the Crusaders came off. Well, so did the Waratahs, mm. and I know the complaint was that they stood up, well, they only stood up, I reckon, about the same time, and then as you went through the sequence, Ben Robinson went down once, should have been penalised. Paddy Ryan stood up early once, he should have been penalised. So I reckon if you, if you had six scrums, mm. it's probably three and three. Mm. Or sorry, maybe two and two, and two were dead set resets. Right. But I reckon the first penalty goes to the Waratahs. Mm. So at that first one, he should have penalised it, made a decision. There's still five minutes to go in the game. Um, Waratahs have a shot. The game goes on. Mm. It was the first one where he made the mistake. And then it just, well, as you say, it was farcical. Yeah. Well, no, it was just, and I guess the bit was, it felt like, to a Waratah supporter, it felt like he was picking, you know, offsides at one stage, like Michael Hooper getting done for one. And, and at the same time, you're just watching this red line that was constantly um, about a metre off. Anyway, through my oh, goggles. but Absolutely. I but, agree with you. But I ha- agree. But having said that, I, I, you know, I think as we talked about earlier on, I think the Waratahs had just kind of run out of puff um, and had the ga- that had that game plan neutralised. But um, at the same time, but I hear, I mean, the big story there was then 
Checker got straight on the phone, apparently, to Lyndon Bray straight after the game. Can you imagine the mouthful that must have gone down that, that, that conversation? Uh, he said that he didn't get through. Oh, did he? Oh, okay. He said he had to leave a voicemail. <laughs> Even better. How oh, much yeah. did you pay for that recording? <laughs> oh, absolutely. Oh, Checker's hilarious because he goes off every game. Yeah. He, he's complained about the refs every single game that they haven't won. Yeah. I can imagine what he would have said if he actually got a hold of Lyndon Bray. Oh, yeah. It's quite but, amazing. Uh, but the other thing that would, I found really surprising is having gone through, and it was six minutes, six minutes of scrums, Beric Barnes goes to take that penalty, and I just thought he rushed it. He did, And I've, he? I've watched it back yeah. again, and I, I don't understand why he was rushing. Yeah. If you look at him making some of those clutch kicks for the Wallabies last year against Wales, he took forever. Mm. Uh, Jackson wasn't going to blow him up mm. and, and say, time's up. I, I don't understand why he rushed. He didn't look comfortable at all, did he? No. And when you, when you look at his kicking style, it was, it was a horrible kick. Because mm. he, he, he seemed to have been wincing with some of them as well, but I, I thought it ended up like in the last game, but I, then I thought it was cramp. I don't know. Maybe he's got a niggle around um, his kicking somewhere. Who knows? But uh, I agree with you. I, I thought he rushed that one as well and, and was surprised. Um, I think some of the talk... And I would have put money on him getting that. Yeah, for sure. I was convinced when they got that penalty, I went, oh, well done, Tars. You yeah. won it. Yeah, yeah. And it was on his right. It was on the right side of the field for him as well, I think, wasn't it? Yeah. Anyway, um, so there you go. Well, that was a bit of it was a bit of a crusher though for the for the Tars because I think they still had some glimmer of hope there, and it was and it would have had quite a big impact if uh, knocking the Crusaders back a win there as well. Um, but anyway, so that that's the way that it uh, that it ended up. Um, so that was that, and then um, the game after that, Brumbies Hurricanes, Brumbies uh, ratching up a, another nice win, thirty to twenty three at home. Uh, what was your take? Uh, I thought they played well without being exceptional. Mm. Uh, they they certainly didn't look like the form they had earlier in the season, but they did what they had to do. I don't think they were really ever in danger of losing the game, mm. but uh, they they're just they're not hitting the highs they were. Yeah, yeah. I'm just kind of going back over the, the you know some of some of the notes that I had there as well. I mean, I, I, they um, the number of tries that they kind of I don't want to say butchered, but just couldn't finish. Um, was it in the beginning of the second half? They had a spate of about, uh, not not the player, but um, they had a run of about three tries where people were either, you know, Kuradrani's kind of knock on, um, what was it, Moen got held up. It was just seemed to keep going, didn't it? Yeah, and they're the sorts of things that when a team's not quite on, yeah. the, the ball never seems to bounce your way. Mm. You know, it, it, it's like the Reds over the last month where... You know, they're in for all money, and then for whatever reason, the TMO decision goes against you, it's dropped over the line. It, it just seems to be a bit of a confidence and momentum thing, and that's where the Brumbies didn't have it. Mm. Um, I mean, I thought Kimlin's try wasn't a try. I mean, I thought he was part of the ruck. Yeah. <laughs> I, was, I was surprised to hear I mean, he was holding onto the guy in front of him, wasn't he? Yeah, yeah. Um, so, I mean, I don't think that was a try, mm. but... Uh, as I said, there was there was nothing there where you'd say this player didn't play well or this player was exceptional. Mm. Everybody just did their job, and good teams win when you're not playing well. And mm. as I said, they were never in doubt of not winning that game. I mean, the guys that um, I, I think Kimmel might have got that try for artistic merit. Um, everyone likes a try um, <laughs> through, through a ruck like that. But um, a few guys that I thought you know struck uh, hit my eye. Um, Nick White in the first half, especially. 
I thought we had an excellent game. Um, answering his, I don't know if he's got a critic or not in the national selector, but the guy who won't pick him, um, you know, I thought he looked fantastic. That little break he did down the blind side of what about a metre? Um, yeah, was 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 great vision. His kicking was was really really good. Other guy who's kind of getting his chance now, uh, Colby Fayenga. Actually, he was fantastic. I thought. Yeah, I mean, I thought Nick White was good. Mm. Uh, Nick White was good. Uh, Matt Tamur was good. Mm. Ben Moen was good. Yep. Kimlin himself was good. Um, Fardy was good. Mm. So there's plenty. Stephen Moore was good. There's plenty of good players. Mm. Yeah, I thought Colby Fyinger was a standout. Mm, he he was on that ball at the breakdown so quickly. Mm. You know, the one guy who he shows glimpses, but for example, in that test or in that game is uh, Joe Tamani. Um, you know, he's not blowing me away as a as the as an obvious Wallabies winger at the moment. True, I yeah. agree. Just looking at my notes, that is one there that I had. Mm. Um, you know, and looking at the guys that are in the squad, that's right. That, that's why I think if Cummins is fit. Uh, Cummins will be preferred over Tamani. Mm. Yeah, no, I mean, yeah, you're looking for someone to do those kind of uh, bullocking runs. Um, anyway, yeah, he, he, you know, I don't think he did a lot horribly wrong, but just he's not, you know, on the front foot there. I thought, and actually, just sorry, just going back to the Tars quickly um, as performances. Uh, you know, what about Hooper? Um, all of a sudden, we haven't seen form like that from him since I think the last Wallabies series. But his running form was uh, was blistering, wasn't it? Yeah, we see that game suits him. Yeah. When you're playing fast and you don't have to get bogged down in the breakdown. Yeah. Which he can do, but he, he's not that's not where he's most effective. He's most effective where it opens up a little. Mm. Um hence the reason I think he's best off the bench for the Wallabies because it opens up the last 20 30 minutes in a test match. Early though you play the tight game with a lot of breakdown work. It isn't that fast, but if you could play that fast game, I don't think there's a better seven in the world for that game. Yeah, no, his his running ability is just amazing. Um, okay, but um, anyway, back to the Brumbies. You know, they put that one away, uh, which is good news for them. They so they sort of march on. You, you've got to feel that they've got that top of the conference position pretty much um, slotted with that one. But we'll talk about the tables in a second. Um, and then the, ne- the only other Aussie game, uh, obviously, was on Saturday night, uh, where the Reds uh, did the Rebels thirty three twenty. Now. I was out at a kind of rugby club function that night um, and uh, had had a few dr- drinks, I should say, got home, put it on, uh, and woke up at 3 a.m. <laughs> staring at the end of the tape sort of thing. Um, so that's all I've seen of it so far. So um, you watched it through closed eyelids. Indeed. It's, it's deep. As you, as you talk, I'll probably, you know, things will probably come to me um, through, the, through the deep recess of my mind. But um, so I'm gonna have to rely upon you f- for this one, mate. How how did it go? Um, what's the biggest roller coaster we've got in Australia? Because that's how it went. It was oh, sort oh. of up and down. Oh, I need to dig this tape out then. Okay. Oh no, you really do. The first half, um, I mean, it was very competitive. The Rebels were right in it. Quade Cooper, two charge downs, and they were both dreadful. All right. Uh, one, the first one, he was so slow kicking the ball, which is his great fault when he gets charged down. Mm-hmm. Um. Didn't see Fugalista coming, charged down. Uh, the Reds went back with an intercept try um, after, after a sustained period of pressure, which came about through Bo Robinson getting a yellow card, mm-hmm. which I don't know whether he's been cited, but he deserves some time because he, he basically was objecting to um, 
it was Fugalista as well, holding on to him. Mm. And he just came up swinging, jab, jabbed him on the jaw, mm. and then they both had a go at each other. And so uh, the Rebels got down on the Reds' try line and had, oh, I think it was probably six scrums in a row. It was a bit like the Waratahs game. Mm. And they couldn't budge the Reds. Um, there were no close-up shots to see whether anyone was dropping the scrum or... Um, but it kept going down. It kept having reset after reset after reset. Mm. Uh, and eventually the Rebels turned the ball over and the Reds got out of trouble uh, and from there scored a try. And you thought, okay, the, the Reds are going to start to click here. And then Cooper had another... Well, it wasn't really a charge down. He kicked the ball straight into Nick Henderson's torso. Yeah. So he didn't even get it up above his arms. Mm. Uh, it bounced straight up for... Um, I can't remember who scored the try now, but... Uh, Went straight into his arms. Uh, it was Rory Sidey. And all of a sudden, they go to half-time with the Rebels in front. And we've since heard that Quade Colt Cooper apologised to all his teammates at half-time. And then the roller coaster started going the other way. Cooper came out and scored an amazing try halfway through the half, which there was no chance he could score. Mm-hmm. No chance anyone could score. And somehow he got the... Uh, the Mr. Gadget arm, Inspector Gadget arm out, put it over the line. And then the red sort of rolled over at the top, scored a bonus point right at the end. But the, the really interesting thing was everybody talked about the game was going to be, you know, Quade Cooper versus James O'Connor. Mm. Well, James O'Connor was ordinary, to mm. say the least. Yeah, I haven't heard many good raps. No, made some, made some mistakes in attack. Um, one pass he tried to offload, which was almost a typical Quade Cooper offload where people would be screaming about, um, which cost the Rebels you know, a potential try. Mm-hmm. Um, but he just wasn't there. Mm-hmm. He wasn't directing traffic. He was standing deep. He was defending at fullback the whole game. And, yeah. you know, okay, he had had an injury, so they were hiding him, obviously. Um, but he, if he's the Wallabies 10 and players like that, we're in serious trouble. Mm. But then you had Quade Cooper who did some brilliant things during the game but then had these... Two absolute brain fades. Mm. So you've got Robbie Dean sitting there, no doubt, going cross, you're off. And then looking at other things and going, oh, maybe. <laughs> but overall, he cost the Reds 14 points. And mm. that's exactly the issue that everybody has, not everybody, that most people have with Quade Cooper, yeah. is that those mistakes can be deadly and they would be deadly in test matches. And yeah. you know, you've got to say fair enough when you watch the match. Yeah, you give away two charge down type stuff. I mean, it's going to be very hard for any international team to come back against that. I mean, I'm just looking at the, some of the stats here from the game. Uh, the Rebels get 21 turnovers they gave away um, to eight. Um, it looked like the Reds had a good slug of the possession. Um, yeah, they did. They did. I mean, at that first half, but for the two charge downs, I mean, I, I wasn't looking at it and thinking the Rebels are going to get this game. Mm. Uh, and certainly in the second half, the Reds got the ascendancy. Um, but, you know, momentum changed so much with those two charge downs. Wow. And then, and then Quade Cooper missed two shots at goal as well, which was obviously at a time when his confidence was shot. Mm. Um, the, the good news from, from the Reds' point of view, because uh, he won't be in the Wallaby squad, but from the Reds' point of view, he was able to put that behind him, go in at half time, put his head in a bucket of water or whatever he did, came out and was... He composed himself beautifully. His goal kicking was good. His play was good. So, and that, and that's he and Will Genia. Will Genia had a, an ordinary, not an ordinary, not a great first half. Mm-hmm. 
but he stepped it up fantastically in the second half. Oh, that's good. He's been doing the opposite recently, hasn't he? Whereas yeah. the second halves have been going. Yeah, but unfortunately, out of all of that, we saw um, we saw Scott Higginbotham go off with a yeah. distant shoulder. Yeah, uh, and that that changed the match. Um, that had a massive impact. The well, Rebels were relying on him so much as we've seen them do, mm. and it just wasn't the same when Gareth Delft came on to replace him. Mm. Yeah, I can I can imagine that, and you know that's. Uh, yeah, that, that's really tough news for for them and, and for Australia. We'll come on to that later on. Yeah. Okay, so that's the that's the three super games. So what does that mean now for the table then? I think you've had a bit of a look. You reckon there's seven teams for six places? Yeah, if you look at you know the New Zealand and South African teams have got a game in hand, but realistically the top six look safe. So the Brumbies should win the Australian Conference from here. Mm-hmm. They've got the Rebels and the Force left. And they have to lose both games, which I can't see that happening. So they will they should top the Australian Conference. The Chiefs are 10 points clear of the Crusaders. Mm-hmm. So, again, they'd have to fall over to not top their conference. And the Bulls are now eight points clear at the South African Conference. So I reckon there's your three conference winners. Mm-hmm. Um, your wild cards look like they will be... Um, the, the Crusaders... Well, sorry, the Reds are on 50 at the moment. Um, they've got four points from the buy, so they'll go to a guaranteed 54. And then obviously they've only got the Tars game left. The Crusaders are on 46, um, so they will be one of the wild cards mm-hmm. because they've got a buy left, so they're automatically on 50, plus they've got three games to play. Right. The, um, the Cheetahs are on 46, so they're looking good for a wild card as well. So those three are probably the favourites at the moment, the Reds, Crusaders and Cheetahs. Mm-hmm. The only team that looks like they can crack it, unless you had you know, results that just went completely awry, would be the Blues, who are on 43. Mm-hmm. So they've got a bye, so they're on guaranteed 47. Then they've got the Sharks and Cheetahs away, which is no easy game. Mm-hmm. No, there's no easy game in that. And then they finish with the Chiefs. Well, having only been the only guys to you know lose to or the second other, well, the second only team to lose to the um, Highlanders this year, um, quite convincingly, uh, you, you kind of don't feel like their season's going in the right direction, do you? No. And to finish Sharks, Cheetahs, Chiefs. Yeah. You know that's 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 and two of those are in South Africa. Yeah. So we almost with the results that happened on the weekend, we've almost got a six. Mm. Um, God, that, that, now, if the Waratahs had beaten the Crusaders, that would have been a, a fillip, wouldn't it? Oh, so, well, and look, mathematically, uh, unbelievably, the Waratahs could still make it uh, if everything went their way. But, uh, I mean, you're, you're talking about the Blues, Hurricanes, Sharks, Stormers having to lose every game they've got left. Uh, um, and there are a couple of times they play each other, so that's not going to happen. So, All right. Okay. So, so, yeah, it looks like seven into six at the moment. Okay, good rundown there. And so, basically, what we need to keep our eyes out for is the Blues not to have a fantastic streak home, and it looks like we get a couple of Aussie teams in. Um, all righty, so that's Super Rugby wrapped up uh, for, from last weekend. The only other thing I was going to do before we went into kind of the, the Lions discussion, last Thursday... Um, I was at an interesting function in Sydney. We uh, pu- we publicised it on the site. 
um, for people. Um, I think it's called the Sports Club Panel. I'll have to double check what, what it was actually called. But it was a, a meeting of people, and we were talking about, um, and it was a panel of people which included um, Greg Peters, CEO of Sansa, um, the guy who runs Channel 10's programming, Greg Clark from Fox, uh, Al Baxter, and also uh, Bill Pulver. So it was interesting. They all kind of gave their spiel. They, they fielded some questions. The bit that was really interesting from Bill Pulver, um, though, and people who are aware that we ran a series that you wrote, Scott, you know, a few weeks back, where we really dove into the ARU's finances, and we, and because it was publicised about you know how the ARU've you know lost knocking on twenty million bucks in the last two years. Um, what was really interesting was he was talking about what he sees as their revenue targets or, or you know, what their forecasts are, I should say, of the next three, this year and the next two years. For this year, he believes they're going to get to $140 million. Now, it was 97 million. Was it 97 last year? Yeah, 97 in 2012. Yeah. Um, so 97 last year, 140 is obviously with, uh, the you know, what we get out of the lines. Then he believes it drops to 90 the following year, so it's 2014, so no Lions, just a regular year. And then in 2015, he forecasts it to drop to 80. And that's because, if you remember, 2015 will be a World Cup year, so we'll lose those inbound tests, which, as we're finding out, is a massive revenue driver for, for the ARU. Um, and so if you consider that we lost, what was it, $8 million on a revenue of 97 uh, a revenue of 90 and then 80 in 2014 and 2015 is a bit of a worry, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, I mean, the numbers just don't add up, do they? And that's that's the problem. And and since I wrote that article, as you know, Matt, we, mm. we've had a, an interview with the ARU last week where we've got some more detail. We'll cover that off over the next couple of weeks. It's a pretty busy time, obviously. Mm. Um, but, you know, one of the things that we got out of that interview without preempting the follow-up article is that there's not a lot of costs that they see they can cut out. No. Um, you know, and they, they were talking to us about savings of potentially $1 to $2 million, which will cut in over 2013 to 2014. So given that we lost $8 million on 97, revenue goes back in 2015 by 7. So you're a $15 million loss. You save one or two off your costs, and you might be at a $13 million loss. And you start to say, well, gee, the $30 million we should make this year out of the Lions, you know, there's a fair chunk of that might go in 2014. Yeah. And, and, and that's the thing. I mean, I, you look at those and what it says is, so there's, there's no saving your way to glory here. Um, no one's going to be finding 10 to $15 million bucks worth of savings. Um, so it's going to be pretty interesting to see. I mean, obviously, there needs to be some sort of big idea. The only ones that I've heard Bill talk about, um, again, he talked about, sevens um uh he talked about that super b sort of competition i didn't hear any other big idea as far as how you bridge that gap that you've just been talking about and painting there so uh and he but you know he seems to be a guy who's you know facing confronting what's out there and you know he also talked about a number of different sort of measures which aren't just financial as far as how rugby in australia is traveling i think he named about six of them and uh you know there's things like super rugby performance wallaby performance engagement attendance um uh participation and i'm obviously missing one i think then the financial one uh, and, and i think he's quite candid in saying that we're behind on most of you know almost all of those so i think participation they seem to feel is is strong 
Um, so anyway, my takeaway was he was someone he definitely was trying to sell a positive message around the depth and the wallabies and those sorts of things. However, with those revenue forecasts and knowing where we are at the moment, um, he's a man who's looking at a very big, uh, well, a very big problem, and I'm not sure he's found the big solution yet, or if he has, he's definitely not letting on about it. Well, one of the solutions that we know about now is that they've added a fifth test on the end of year tour this year. Yeah. So, I mean, the players, it started out it was going to be three tests, and then we added England to make a fourth test. Now we've added a fifth test, so the, it actually will be a Grand Slam tour. Mm-hmm. But we're going to go five tests in five weeks. So they're going to come off the back of the rugby championship and go straight into five straight games. Yeah. So that's going to tax people. I thought the some of the comments he made in announcing that were interesting and in that he said, no, we're not going to increase our squad. We'll still take the same squad, but we'll probably have to call people over and that'll be great because that'll give them some experience, guys that haven't played before. Mm. And then And then said... Well, but it's, you know, great, we've got to try and win the Grand Slam. Well, So we're going to take inexperienced players to win the last two games and still be saying that we've got to win it. Mm-hmm. All in all, we're going to tax the players beyond anything they've been taxed before. And clearly it's, you know, that extra... I think they're talking about something like an extra $3 million in revenue out of that England game. Mm-hmm. It won't be as much for the last game they've added because it's not a Twickenham, but... You know, if you're picking up an extra $2 million, it's no wonder that they're having to resort to those sorts of measures. Yeah, no, with the, with the problems that they've got at the moment, um, for sure. Okay, so that was the news there. Look out for the follow-up article. We've got, like uh, Scott said, we had a chat with the guys at the ARU, got a bit, bit of clarification on some issues we had before. So it'll be um, a good one. We, you'll be able to read up and, and, and find out more about that. So um, just before we came, it's Monday afternoon, uh, we had an announcement, and that's the uh, Lions squad, which, well, the Lions team has been announced was going to play the Western Force on Wednesday night. Um, you've had a look at this, Scott, and I think you reckon there's eight eventual first-team selections in there. Am I right? Yeah, there are. I mean, that's based on the series that I've just done recently, mm. looking at the individual players. But uh, things like, you know, I think the entire back three that are playing against the Force would be favourites to start in the first test. Um, Centre pairing is interesting in that Brian O'Driscoll is going to captain the side and he's playing 13. That's his natural spot. And people have said, is it possible that he could play 12 so that Manu Manu Toalangi from England could play 13, which Mm -hmm. is where he normally plays? Interestingly, the Lions have put uh, Toalangi at 12, Mm -hmm. which is, if you look at that that, uh, series I've just done, particularly with their their style of play. Gatlin wants a big 12 who can mm. carry the ball forward. So he's, it looks like he, what he's saying is, I'm going to choose at 12 between Tuolagi or Roberts. Mm. And then I'll choose at 13 between O'Driscoll and Jonathan Davis from Wales. Mm-hmm. So we'll, we'll get to see whether Tuolagi at 12 is as good as Roberts was the other night. Mm-hmm. Um, Jonathan Sexton's starting, which given Owen Farrell just didn't look like um, he's up to it at 10 the other night. Yeah. Um, I think Sexton will be the 10. Uh, Connor Murray is starting at 9 um, from Ireland. And then if you look at their pack, I mean, all of their packs are very good. Um, they've got Healy, Best and Cole in the front row, so that'll be a good, strong front row. Um, 
Alan jones and Evans from Wales in the second row, so some big guys there. And then they've got a, a good back row of uh, Tom Croft from England, Sean O'Brien from Ireland, and Jamie Heaslip from Ireland. So I think that back row, you want to watch that as well because I, think, I don't think O'Brien will knock Warburton out of the seventh spot, but O'Brien can basically play all three positions in the back row. So I'd reckon if he plays well in the lead-up games, he's going to feature... Um, either there on the bench. Mm. Well, it's been—I mean, it was, it's been interesting. I think uh, one of the things that you, what you were talking about there are the combinations he's starting to look at. Um, you know, as far as the back three and then the back row, because I think in that Barbarians match, he pretty much had the uh, you know almost kind of like the tight five, didn't he? Um, probably you know minus uh, a prop, um, which he kind of ran out. So it sounds like he's kind of doing a bit of a mix and match. Yeah, absolutely, and then lots. There's been lots of talk that he has said in the first three games everybody will start at least once, uh-huh. so he's got to rotate them around. But by the time they get to the third game, which will be against the Reds next Saturday night, you know they'll start to be wanting to put together groups: um, the back three working together, the back row working together, tight five. So we'll start to see more definition, I reckon, after this game, um, and definitely then they go the next game after that. You'll start to work out who's um, the dirt trackers and who's yeah. going to be the test team. Yeah. Well, it's going to be fascinating to see who the force put out um, because, I mean, you know, there's, well, you know, what's in it for them either way around, I guess, is the question. I mean, obviously their super rugby season isn't going to be going anywhere. Um, do they try and make them, their names for themselves putting up a good show against what's going to be a very strong Lions side, if they put out a B or a C team, I mean, it's going to be a bit of a slaughter, isn't it? Well, it is. Um, and then, again, you would look at it and say if they throw out their best team that they possibly could, is it, are they going to compete? I mean, what do they get out of winning the game? They don't get any extra revenue. Mm. They're going to be seen on TV by international audiences anyway. Mm. Um, I would have thought that they're better off to concentrate on the super game and say to the world, well, look, sorry, we had a super game on the Saturday. We couldn't put out our best team, but we gave it our best shot. Mm. Don't, don't blame us if we got beaten by 50. Yeah, I, I tend to think you're probably right in real, realistically. Um, you'd hope, I don't know. I mean, I was looking, there's a great video that um, Vinny put together today I put up on the site, which kind of looks at some of the highlights of the, all the, of the 2001 provincial uh, the games. And Western Australia, as it was back then, got done by 112 points. Um, and you know, it's just—it was just a procession. I just, you know, I, I think if the force, you know, they've been, you know, they're good. They can be good, a good containment team, and they can wrestle. Um, you know, you'd hope that they could, you know, keep it within a, you know, a good, decent, you know, respectable uh, scoreline, and maybe even give a bit of a fright by the end of the first half. I mean, that's that's what you'd like, and that I think a lot of people would say would be, I don't know an honourable loss is if there's so, such a thing. But, you know, it's the whole idea of the Lions too. If, if they just have processions all the way up, is that, you know, what does that give anybody in terms of entertainment anyway? Yeah. But, you know, and, and it's unfortunate that the first game they play, the, the team they're playing has a game three days later in the, the Super Comp. Yeah. yeah you, um, you couldn't blame the Force if they if they chose uh, the, the route that you're talking about. But um, anyway, look, that's going to be the first run out. It's, yeah, that, that's a pretty eye-watering team. There's some 
damn good players there, um, as you'd expect out of the Lions. But yeah, you, you wouldn't say that was a dirt tracking team for sure um, by by any means at this point. Um, but then the other side of the equation are the Wallabies. So some interesting decisions came out yesterday on Sunday um, as far as people to join the squad um, because what they've said is obviously Diggers still isn't training. Um, and then, as you mentioned, Higgers um, has dislocated his shoulder. Um, and Tamani, I think, has uh, done something to his thumb. Um, I was still waiting to hear on both of those, what the kind of reports from scans, etc., what the prognosis are. But um, because of that, that's opened the door to three people to replace, and they've brought in Phipps, which is probably the most contentious piece, um, McCalman for back row, and Kane Douglas uh, for the second row. Um, it's caused all sorts of story. I think you, you are you starting up that um, justice for white armband. I did. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that was me. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you got to ask what the guy's got to do to get a look in. Oh, I, I just find this decision ridiculous. Mm. I really do. There's the only, and there's been the conspiracy theory going on that the only justification is that because Phipps has to go into the Wallaby squad, that gives Burgess the opportunity to play for the Rebels this weekend, mm. which might be what Dean's wants anyway, because he wants to have a look and see how he goes. Yeah. But surely that's not what you'd do. Um, it, what, it, what it says is Nick White is considered at least the third best halfback, and um, I saw that Robbie Dean's again made the comment yesterday when he went into the camp the moment that Luke Burgess plays, well, then he's in, in the frame for a test recall. Mm. So he's thinking strongly about Burgess, which could push Nick White to fourth, which is, I, I don't believe it. Mm. We have seen that Nick White has been invited to train with them tomorrow because he's got a day off Brumby's training. Mm. So he will be in camp for one day only, mm. which, you know, holds out the possibility he's still there. Is that just an olive branch to Nick White? But, I mean... When you, when you look at how Nick Phipps has been going, I think he's been outplayed by Sturzacker at the Rebels. Mm. Um, he still makes all the, the terrible mistakes he makes. I know mm. that the second halfback is probably going to sit on the bench, hopefully for the entire 240 minutes, mm. because that'll mean Wilgeny is still on the park, and he's one of our trump cards. But surely Nick White deserves to be there. Yeah. No, it's a bit. It's a. It's a bit of a worry. I can't help but think that that thing tomorrow with White is a, is a, is, a, is a sort of like a, like you say, an olive branch. Not so much to Nick White, but probably to people like you and me. Um, to you know, to try and throw something out there. I just don't think he's in the reckoning, for whatever reason. You, you know, Dean's does these things where you know somebody gets a bit of incumbency, and it's damn impossible to sh to shift them. Um, even though the logic doesn't seem to be there, because. You know, Phipps only got that extra run because you know White then went off to have his shoulder reconstruction at the end of last season. Um, but yeah, I, I, I don't think you know I, I don't think his mind's going to be changed, and the only one it might be changed for is Burgess um, for yep. whatever reason. Um, okay, so yeah, and so that's who we've got for the, for, for the Wallabies squad. Obviously, the big discussion is still who's going to be in the six, but. Interestingly enough, uh, so the other news was that having just played a, a club rugby game for Randwick against Sydney Uni, Kirtley Beale is training with the Wallabies. So I guess, apparently he's not part of the squad. He's just doing everything the squad's doing for the next week um, is the situation, isn't it? Yeah, look, I heard on uh, over the weekend from people who have a 
well, let's say a fairly direct line. It's not it's not from a an unnamed source. Mm. They have a fairly direct line to the Wallabies. I've heard that he is the fifteen for the first test, provided you know, he played that game on Saturday mm. and provided that, you know, he gets through the camp. But this was before it had been announced. They were saying he's already in the camp for next week. Mm. Uh and he is slated as the fifteen to start. Um and now, yeah, he's sort of just added to the squad. Mm. And you've got to think that's PR. You've got to think that they're looking at it and saying, we've had such a hullabaloo by not including Quaid mm. that let's manage this a little better. We're going to get grief for not picking White, so let's bring him in and say, no, no, he's in the squad. Mm. He's, he was training with us. And Beal, oh, no, he's, he's just coming along to train. Mm. And I think Robbie Deans has uh, said it's part of his recovery. <laughs> What I also understand is that he's with the squad, but he can't make Fridays because that's his counselling day. Right. So he's still, he is still in counselling, as you, we know he needs to be. Two weeks isn't going to fix everything. So, you know, it's still a work in progress. But I'm hearing that he is, you know, it's basically done. He will be in the starting side as long as nothing goes wrong. Right. Well, I mean, it all, it all tallies up with the extraordinary manoeuvres you've been seeing around and the Clayton's squad edition. <laughs> How do you say somebody's, they're training with the squad, they're doing everything the squad's doing, but they're not in the squad. It's just hilarious. Um, yeah. So, yeah, no, he, he definitely seems to be there. I mean, who knows uh, how that fits into any sort of recovery um, program. You know, whether the program he put himself into, whether that was just to, you know, shield some flack, uh, you know, anyway, you know, whether it was a real serious move or whether that was just to kind of, you know, get some media cleansing, who knows. But, um, that's where he is. Uh, so that's going to be that's going to be very interesting to see what happens there as well. Yeah, it's also interesting. Um, ben McCalman comes in, mm. who you know hasn't been playing badly, but I will really—he's not a standout guy that you would have been thinking he's coming in. And again, speculation that is he another potential um, six or back row slash lock cover. Mm. So we, you know, we're going to try and get the versatile bench. Um, doesn't make sense to me. But the one thing, and, and I don't wish any ill on any of these guys, but the one thing that's happened with Tamani's broken thumb and him going out is that the line-out will improve. Is it, have you heard any report on what's, where, what, you know, his thumb and is it broken and how long for? I don't think it's an official report. Broken mm. and not available for the series. Oh, wow, okay. Is what? people seem to be saying, mm. but that's not, that's not one that I can say, mm. you know, has come from somebody close. Okay. Um, but, but look, you, again, you wouldn't take somebody out of the squad if they didn't know the thumb was broken and they were waiting on the scan. Yeah. With Higgers, it's clear. It was a dislocated shoulder. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't matter what happens, you know, in a scan today, he is not going to be right to train for the next couple of weeks. If Tamani was, it's potentially... Yeah, you know, there's some sort of sprain or ligament damage around the thumb. Well, he could probably be right to go within within the week mm. to train. That is, yeah. But they they've put him straight out, so I don't think there's any chance there. No. Alrighty. But as I say, that yeah, you know, that opens up the possibility for either Douglas or Simmons to start, which improves the lineout. Mm -hmm. um, if Simmons starts, you've got a lineout caller in there. With let's assume Higgins is out. It's going to be Ben Moen or Dave Dennis to start. Either one of them can call line out. So that helps the general balance. 
you know, and they're they're both good line out jumpers. Mm. So that has made some difference. I mean, I still, if Robbie Deans still wants to play with the big man plan, then Douglas would start. If he wants to play um, a more traditional lock pairing, Simmons and Simmons would would probably call. But the question then becomes, who's going to play six? As you said before, mm. um, to me, that's Ben Mullen. He's in really good form and has been running lineouts better than Dave Dennis has, but he hasn't played a test. No. So is Dean's going to put Dennis in at six? He's not, he's not the anointed. Mullen seems to be the person to avoid at all costs like Nick White. <laughs> yeah, and of course you've got Higgers in the background saying, no, if this is my first dislocation. And in, in those cases, people can go through rehab and have it strapped up. He's saying, I will play. If I don't have to have an operation, I will play. Yeah. Well, with a so, dislocation, unless it's horrific, it, you know. And is it, is, was it a full pop-out dislocation or an AC? Uh, well, no, it was a dislocation, oh. and apparently they put it back in in the change room, so it didn't go straight back in. Oh, okay. All right, well, yeah, so who knows? It'll be interesting to see. Um, okay, mate, look, we said this was going to be a quick one, so I think there's, there's, there's plenty in there. Probably the only other announcement I was going to say is today, with the Lions um, arriving here, we also did our bit and launched the new look Grinning God Rugby website and logo. Um, it's been getting pretty good feedback so far, but um, it's kind of just taking it on the next step. Hopefully people have noticed the quality of the content um, and the regularity of it as well. We've got more than we've ever had. I think we had, you know, like more than 10 or 12 stories yesterday on Sunday alone just covering things like club rugby and um, schoolboy rugby and all those sorts of things. So anyway, with the content improving, we've also given it a bit of a, a new look, which uh, let us know what you think. And if you've, anyone's got any other suggestions as well. Um, but other than, other than that, um, we will probably, the next time, our plan is post the match on Wednesday. It'll be a bit of a late one for us. And I am watching it in a pub somewhere so it could be interesting um but <laughs> it won't be but it won't be world cup levels anyone who remembers those i can i can rest your allay your fears it's uh not, it's not going to be at that sort of a, a a production but uh it might be just a little bit later on wednesday night but yeah we'll have something out towards the end of the week when we've got uh, when we've seen what the lions have done and then also get a bit of an idea of what might be happening with the reds i guess yeah, well, and we'll we'll no doubt do some live recording from the Reds match, or at the pub afterwards, or the pub beforehand even, because <laughs> uh, we're all getting together on Saturday night for the the Reds yeah. versus Lions game. So yeah. yeah, I'm trying to hold back the excitement for that until we until until our second podcast this week. Oh, I I just want to get excited and get you know it's all happening. <laughs> it I, is. You know, it feels it feels good. Yeah, it's all on. Good one. Okay, all right, mate. Look, good to talk to you. Okay, and um, thanks everybody for downloading and. Uh, We'll see you later on in the week. Thanks, guys. Right there, right there.